Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent. One of those teams is not the New York Knicks. We're going to talk about them in a second. No one knows the importance of talents more than our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter. They deliver qualified candidates fast. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. So effective. Four to five employers will post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, if you're shopping for a business, you'll find the supplies you need at Zorro.com, Z-O-R-O.com, where you can get tools, safety, office items, cleaning supplies, and more in one stop. They have great brands like Stanley Black & Decker, Prestone, 3M, and Rubbermaid. Visit Zorro.com slash BS and sign up for Zmail to get 15% off Zorro.com. All you need to make your business go. I hope you checked out the book of basketball this week. Put up a podcast about the time Kobe Bryant called me out of the blue. Spend some time on that one. Please check it out when you have a chance. We also have a rewatchables coming up this week. Once upon a time in Hollywood. That's happening. We did it. We taped it at Sundance and uh, pretty excited about that one as well. Hey, one more thing. A heads up on Thursday, Rosillo and I are going to be doing our second annual pseudo live trade deadline podcast. We're going to start taping at probably like 2.15 Eastern time before the trade deadline, as the trades are starting to go all the way through the actual deadline. And then the next hour, and it'll probably be about two hours. And then we'll try to get that up as fast as we possibly can on late Thursday afternoon, East coast time, as well as on our ringer YouTube channel as well. So keep an eye out for that. Keep your ears out for that as well. Coming up, we're going to talk to Brian Koppelman about the New York Knicks. We're going to talk to Wesley Morris about the Oscars that are coming up this Sunday. And then an interview I did with Claire Danes, who has Homeland coming back a little bit later this month. First time she's been on the BS pod. Very excited about this one. This is a fun podcast. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, every time something traumatic happens with the Knicks, we tend to have this guy on. He's my friend who is one of the co-creators of Billions, as well as he wrote Rounders, and most importantly on his IMDb, appeared on the Godfather 2 rewatchables. Brian Koppelman, um, <laughs> we, if this was, this has been Godfather 3 as a basketball team for 20 solid years now, there's no end in sight, and now there's another savior being dangled, Masai Ujiri who is currently running the Toronto Raptors, who won the title last year and have a chance to win the title again this year. And now he has become the new savior. Do you even believe this anymore when the, when the latest savior gets thrown out for the Knicks? No. And also I need to call it the Godfather three. You know, I hate the Godfather three, but I mean, this is so much worse than the Godfather three. This is like a middle school play version of the Godfather three or something. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but with, like, but with Sophia Coppola, at least so, the Godfather three had some good performances in it. And, you know, it was Coppola. This is, this is just as bad as, uh, it gets, look, uh, I was talking to Sammy about this earlier today and, and, and he was like, there's no difference between this. You, Dolan gets the chance to fire Dolan, right? The gardens chanting finally. And I get too many people for him to throw them all out because you know, Bill, that that Dolan 
is like uh, an ineffective WWE heel. He's like pointing and trying to get people thrown out of the garden when they're <laughs> chanting against him. Right. Yes realizing he's just going to get more heat that way. Yeah. And I guess the chance got so big that he decided he had to fire Steve Mills. But the time he made this particularly crazy, because we have the trade deadline coming up at three Eastern time on Thursday. And usually you want like a stable front office situation as you head into the trade deadline and you have a bunch of expiring contracts, all of whom you've signed while kind of dangling out that, Hey, we get these guys in, we'll be able to trade them for lots of stuff. And now you have front office dissension 48 hours for the deadline. Well, the Knicks have always been as since Dolan's taken over about as stable as Gary Busey in 79 on a, at a, you know, Halloween part. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it's not like they've ever been selling stability. Yeah, that's um, true. And, but of course you're, of course you're right, man. Um, Obviously, Dolan reacts emotionally. You know, I met some kids who work at the Garden in a very sort of like they like sell stuff at the Garden. Like they're not even involved with basketball. They like sell gear. And um, I met these like three kids who were part of the selling of stuff there. And they were like, you know, the whole Garden, everybody kind of runs away when Dolan's walking down the halls. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, no, they go, he's the meanest guy. Everybody else will say hello to you, shake your hand. Dolan won't even look at you, won't say hi to you. And it, it creates this vibe in that building that's so ugly. And, uh, you know, all Dolan's really thinking about, I guess, is what people's opinion of him is. And if he can remember a one, four, five blues progression for his band. Right. And that's just not what's needed in somebody running what was once, I mean, we can't even say it's like one of the most storied franchises anymore. Right. Well, 1970 and 73 a long time ago, Bill. I think calling it a storied franchise would be an overshoot. I think they have generations yeah. of fans, but like we did a book of basketball podcast a couple of weeks ago about the LJ's four point shot and that whole game. And what yeah. I didn't realize when I was doing the research was that Dolan officially took over the team a few months later. And since then uh. you're, you're talking, we're on now our third decade of sad Knicks memories, I guess my question. So I, I see Messiah gets thrown out. And to me, it reminds me a lot of the Theo Epstein with the Cubs in, in, you know, last decade, the beginning when they went for him. Yeah. And he was this proven commodity who had done the impossible, had brought the Red Sox a World Series, ended yeah. the 86-year drought. And the biggest challenge left in baseball was the Cubs. Now, in this case, they didn't have somebody like James Dolan, but they had whether it was a curse, whether it was a malaise, wh whatever it was, it just seemed like impossible that the Cubs were ever going to win the World Series. And Theo said, you know what? It's not impossible. Here's my plan. We're going to really attack this over the course of five years. And then he actually pulled it off and they won the World Series. And if I'm Masai and I already won with Toronto, I already did that. I already climbed the mountain. He can leave now and the, the fans will be super grateful that he brought them. He made one of the great trades in the history of the league brought them a title, set them up pretty well. They have Siakam as their next star, all that stuff. Now, if I'm him, I'm looking at the Knicks. And is that my Cubs? Is that is that the biggest mountain to climb in basketball? I would say it is, right? Yeah, so there's no doubt that that's true, that if you could do this, you are a savior and you're remembered in this city and in the league forever. But to not do this with pop culture references, just to talk really straight, I don't understand why 
a smart person like Masai, who is as successful as you're saying, and who pulled off something so great, would put himself in such a toxic situation in a way it's not because it's not just like you're saying, as you said with Theo and Theo, who's uh, sort of a hero of one of the episodes of Billions uh, in season three, when when we say Billy Bean never won, but uh, Theo did. Yeah. But the and I'm a big, you know, so I'm a big fan of this idea of somebody coming in with a. Uh, who understands how, you know, I would have loved Daryl Morey to come in. Like, but why would anybody like that choose, especially when you have a lot of choice, choose to put themselves in a position where this guy has capped, he's literally shot every single, to bring it back, I mean, he is like the Rosado brothers. He just garrotes you at the first moment that he can. If I can bring it back to a pop cultural reference. I, I You double pop culture. I it. feel like, yeah, I did. I just don't think that uh, I, or maybe I look as a lifelong Knicks fan. Maybe I just can't imagine that this guy would do it. Like when you think about it, Bill, why would he? Why would he come here to do this? It doesn't. It kind of doesn't track for me because Dolan has each person, whether it's Walsh, and we could keep we could go down every person has been in the job, but at a certain moment. Dolan just decides to blame them, is try to escape his own blame. And I mean, he's talking about a guy who threw Charles Oakley out of the garden. Right. Well, maybe, you know, when, when sometimes people get older and they get kind of crazier and each yeah. year, especially when they hit like 70, they get crazier yeah. or they, or their health starts breaking down or whatever. Maybe with Dolan, it'll go the other way. Maybe he'll start to get like more competent. Maybe, maybe his. Well, that's his, not. I it, think that that. I, <laughs> so, I don't. I don't think that's really. You don't, don't think, think that's, that's really in play. Possible. I mean, I do think. No, and I don't really look. I'm not a guy who's a big believer in ideas like karma, but I do think that the NBA gods should reward. I think that finally, the fact that Zion and Ja were one and two, and RJ was three, should finally make up for the frozen envelope and us getting Patrick, and we should start. We should start. Even well, let's again. talk. Let's talk about that for a second because in 2009, you lose out on Curry by one pick. You have this GM in yeah. front of you with two picks, who <laughs> who is just throwing darts as 100 miles an hour with a <laughs> blindfold on, and somehow misses Curry <laughs> twice. And then, but unfortunately, there's there's one other team in front of you before Curry can get to you, and the Warriors, who were as about as incompetent as it gets, um, are smart enough to take Curry. And you end up with Jordan. Yeah. Then 10 years later, and we knew Ja was going to be good. It's not, it's not like this is a surprise that Ja. I was dead. I, I was, I was actually on your podcast that night. Yeah. And I said, the fact that we didn't get Ja killed me. I knew it. I mean, I think that was very odd. We, yeah. we knew it was bad. I still, I'm still an RJ Barrett fan. And I, I think he's just been in the, the wrong situation. Every conceivable respect, coaching, the organization itself, the <laughs> yes, roster they've made yes. up, everything, everything is set up for him to fail. With that said, yeah, all of it, what Ja yeah. is doing as a rookie in Memphis, I mean, they're 14 and five in their last 19 games. This is a team that Andre Iguodala refused to even report to. They were going to be a lottery team. It's a team that has a top six protected pick with the Celt- that the Celtics own that we just assumed was going to roll over and become unprotected a year from now. Now it's going to be like, they're, they might make the playoffs. And it's really because of Ja and what he brings to the table night after night. And I think, look, all due respect to the to the Memphis fans, 
they've had some playoff teams. They've they've had it pretty good the last, I would say, 15 years, dating back to Pau Gasol and all that stuff. If you put John MSG, the sky's the limit. I, I think he would be the biggest star yeah. in New York. And I, I think what he, if he was doing the stuff he's doing on the Grizzlies for the Knicks, this is like Jeter stuff. Like we're going, I'm going well, right there crazy. immediately it's to Jeter. Crazy. It's crazy. You're correct. It's crazy that there are two guys in the league now, two new players who are, if it, you know, if they don't get hurt, if lifestyle doesn't, if all the sort of variables don't happen, these are guys who for the next, they're going to define the league. Those two dudes for the next 15 years. They'll, and yeah, they'll be in the first wave. Even, yeah. And, and neither of them were in New York and, and either of them could have, once it was down to the final three, and it was clear we were one of the final three. We had a 66% chance of getting one of them. And of course we didn't. And I, you can't blame Dolan for that, especially if, like I, I said, I don't believe in the woo-woo stuff. On the other hand, it is, kind of, it is kind of right that Dolan doesn't get to ruin those guys. Because I have no doubt that Dolan, imagine this, just play this game with me. We get Zion. Zion tweaks his knee. Yeah. Do you really think that Dolan would have allowed Zion the five months to recover? I say no chance. I say he would have forced and pushed and hassled him back onto the court. They wouldn't have known how to let the kid grow. And I think it's possible that there's a scenario where Zion comes back, hurts himself, and is never the guy who's going to be the best player in the league. See, I don't know. I don't know what to believe with that because I keep hearing these conflicting reports about Dolan, what he's like to work for. Obviously, not great at building an atmosphere around a franchise dealing with the press, um, the, your story about like employees kind of being scared if he's around, stuff like that. But I've always heard with the, on the basketball side, he stays out of the way and that's kind of the problem. The problem on the basketball side is he continually hires the wrong people. Really, the only person he hired that was a defensible hire was Donnie Walsh, who he got at like an advanced stage. But when you look at the stuff that Donnie Walsh did, he really did set them up pretty well heading into the 2010s. And then Dolan, now this is where you say, well, he actually does overrule because Dolan came plowing in and demanded to do everything possible. He made the Carmel thing happen. So that's what makes me think. you know, he didn't have to give up all those players. No. He was willing to give up more players than they were even asking for. Right. So that makes me think he is a meddler. Well, I, I would say this to just add to it. So as you know, like I study these kind of guys, right? These billionaires, uh, the guys who made the money themselves, the ones who are, uh, who've inherited it. And here's the thing about Zion. I, I, let's say you're right about him staying out of the way of basketball operation, but to a guy like Dolan, who's a guy who makes himself open for the Eagles, right? I mean, you got to really think about that. I'm not even saying it to be fun. Like actually think about this guy, this billionaire's kid who's convinced his friends to allow him to open for the Eagles. That's his, what his ego needs that like he needs to stand in front of a hundred thousand people in a stadium or, you know, 30,000 in the garden and play his stupid blues songs and bask in the bullshit applause. Right? So if you gave that guy a crown jewel like Zion, he would have not been able to help himself, yeah. but to demand that he, he you know, just like, uh, I'll tell you who he's the most like, he is the most like John Larroquette in stripes. You know how when John Larkin strikes, it's like uh, the army's trained you to fire that mortar. So and they're like, but what coordinates, sir? And he's like, 
fire the mortar, and they do, and they kill Sergeant Holka, yeah, or they, or they knock Sergeant yeah, Holka knock out. Him down. I mean, that is what Dolan would be like, right? He would say, uh, "Put the kid on the floor," and they would go, "But, but, Mister Dolan," and he would go, "I paid good money for this kid. People are in the garden and put him on the floor." And and I just think if you look at the history and legacy of this team under him, it's been one thing like that after another. He's just ruined players. Look at Frank. You put Frank on a good team with a good coach and a smart GM, and that guy's really contributing, I think, in a meaningful way. And now who knows if he's ever going to be uh, a great NBA player. Maybe not. So you're saying Zion, if he had been drafted by the Knicks, would have ended up playing base for JD in the straight shot because Dolan would have wanted to, <laughs> That's pretty much, to get him to glom really onto possible. him in a bunch of different ways. It's an interesting theory. I, I, think I do wonder though, as you know, I'm a big believer in karma and yeah. the gods deciding and all that stuff. And I do think there's something to it. The The fact that they were a pick away from Curry and then had the, the two out of three chance with John Zion and end up three. It almost feels like it yeah, can't be a coincidence. It can't be a coincidence. As Sammy said, as Sammy said to me, this has to put us back. You got to take the Ewing thing off the table and this, and just say, we missed out on two generational talents and Curry 10 years ago. And we should now be, we should now be square for having gotten, well, so, for having gotten Patrick. All right. So let's bring it back to Masai. Yes. Given everything we just laid out, doesn't that make it in a weird way even more enticing? If you do this, if you change the culture around the league's biggest, I mean, the biggest teams in the league are the Knicks and the Lakers. You can say they're 1A, 1B, whatever you want to do. They they certainly have the most media covering them. They certainly have, they're in the running for most fans. If you just talk about most total fans, most generations of fans rooting for them, they're probably number one. It's either them or the Celtics. But and, I would put it, I'd flip it to you this way though. Yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying. I would flip it to you this way. You're a person who's been in this position of having places want you. Don't you think, especially experienced, like Masai's experienced now, right? Yeah. He's won. He's seen what it's like in a good situation. Like, don't you get to a point as you get just a little older and a little more experienced where you start weighing this stuff slightly differently and your quality of life starts to matter a little bit? All right, so I'm going to flip that around. Remember when, uh, remember when Ben Affleck decided to be Batman? Yes. He was, he was on like an all-time hot streak, right? He, yes. he had turned it around with Gone Baby Gone in the town. He did Argo, wins the Oscar. Gone, he does Gone Girl, who works with Fincher, and he's really good in that movie. Are we going to mention his appearance on your show in this? No, no, that's later. The comeback part of the run. No, this is when I'm still at Grantland. This is like 2014, 15 okay. range. And yeah. I wrote a mailbag about why he wanted to be, to be Batman. I was just guessing. Yes. I was like, yes, that dude hit rock bottom. He huh. just staged one of the most amazing comebacks in Hollywood history. And now this is right. like his version of trying to go for 19 and 0 with the Pats. This is when the Pats were going yeah. 19 and 0. It's like, it's not just enough we're winning the Super Bowl. We're going 19 and 0. We're going all out. We're going to make this happen. The Batman yes. thing for him was the 19 and 0. It was like, I know I'm a heavy Super Bowl favorite. I know I, I just did something <laughs> incredible. Now I yep. want to go 19 and 0. I'm going to pull off Batman and I'm going to impress my kids. I'm going to take my kids to this Batman movie and they're just going to be impressed. And that's my 19 and 0. 
And I wrote this and then he admitted that that was why, that was why he did it. It, w- it wasn't just enough to have the comeback. It was like you, you cement it with the exclamation point. And for Masai, at some point you want to go, if you're a competitor and you have real belief in yourself, you're going to make a run at the 19 and 0. And I think that's the Knicks job. You pull the Knicks thing off. You make them a contender again. It's a four-year plan. You're going to get a ton of leeway. You change the culture and you create a contender. That's the 19 and 0 if you win it. If you actually win the title, yeah, that's the, the 19 and 0. Yeah, I'm not going to argue. Those are the, those are the bright lights. And I love Affleck. You know, we made a movie together, but maybe the worst movie of both of our careers. <laughs> so, but I still love the guy. And, right. um, and I would have loved to have seen, you know, him have a long run as, as Batman. Um, and for that thing to be great. But when you chase these things that are outside of your, not just comfort zone, I just think that there's no, I don't know Masai. Maybe have you spent time with him? Do you know him? So I've spent time with him a couple of times. We, including he did a podcast with me, I would say two and a half years ago. Two and a half, three years ago. He's a genuinely impressive yeah. guy and he's a really thoughtful guy. And I can't emphasize this part enough. Incredibly well-respected in NBA circles. I would say he is right. the number one most, most respected executive. I think he's a really meaningful guy to the league and probably doesn't get yes. enough. The basketball bo- without borders, that whole thing that, that he's doing with Adam. I would say if Adam was having a protective, you know, when you, you have the expansion draft and you can protect people, yes. he would be yeah. one of Adam Silver's five guys that he'd be like, I'm protecting this guy for the next 20 years. I want nothing bad yeah. to happen to him. So if you put that guy in charge of the well, next, I think you answered your question. Yeah, but, I think you just answered your question. All right. But if you're, but if I you're Adam, your question, no, 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 but maybe well, I didn't though, because if you're Adam, the single most important thing you can have right now is a good Knicks team. You got everything else Adam, in place. Do you really say to that guy, if you're Adam, do you say to that guy, when that guy calls you and says, man to man, friend to friend, I need to know, can I make this work? Because that's what you ask when you're given a shot at a job like that, right? Yeah. You do you think, do you think you this go, can actually work? Can I make it work? And do you really think that any of the people Masai respects who know, if he calls Phil, if he calls Adam, if he, that any of those people are going to say to him, yes, do it. Well, so Adam, if he's really, if he really thinks he might have a chance, I think he yeah. would give the answer of, look, do it, get as much, as, amass as much power and check as many boxes as possible, no meddling boxes as possible. And I will help you. I will help the, I will help make this work for you. So that's interesting. That's I will do really everything I think, can to make you succeed if you can pull this off. So you think Adam would get in there and body block a little bit? I think he has to. It's the crown jewel of the league, them and the Lakers. Those are the two teams that matter them the most. None of the, everyone else, if if the NBA is like a giant Irish Catholic family, they're the two favored, favored sons and daughters. <laughs> they just are. Everyone else is like, whatever, where's Jimmy today? I don't know. He left three hours ago. The Knicks and the Lakers are the teams they care about. And that's it. So they need them to be good. And what happened last year to have those guys assess the Knicks who, and they wanted to go there and assess that situation. And Durant and Kyrie were like, we're actually going to go to Brooklyn, a team that has no history. And the irony of that, you just saw it with Kobe. And, you know, the city is still broken and is going to be broken for a long time by what happened. But there were arguments last summer about, 
is this a Clippers town or a Lakers town now? Oh God, two basketball city now. And it's like, no, it's a Lakers town. The Clippers could win three titles in a row. It's never going to be a Clippers town. It's a Lakers town. That's what it is. That's it. The conversation is over and you just saw it because what happened with Kobe and the outpouring and the grief and everything like that was not only the biggest sports tragedy I think I've ever seen, it's in the running for biggest celebrity tragedy I've ever seen. I've never seen a city react like this and it's still going. We're talking 10 days later. And so my point is what the Lakers mean to LA, I still feel like the Knicks mean that to New York and Brooklyn, they can make the finals, they can do whatever. And it's just never going to, never going to be the same ever. You're correct. By the way, I realized the right Knicks analogy. It's not Godfather three, it's boondock Saints. Hmm. The Knicks, because there's nothing you could do to turn Boondock Saints into a godfather. Right. It's just always going to be Boondock Saints. So that's where I think we are, sadly. And, um, you know, you bring the Kobe tragedy into it. Obviously, none of this is, that's sad. That's, that's actual. You know, as soon as you mention that, all the light kind of goes out of the conversation to me because it is so. Right. It's it's a different, it's a a different conversation. As a sports fan, as a basketball fan, you can't even, nobody even needs a second you bring it up. And I flash on all that again. It's, um, you know, it's just, you've got punched by it. Talking about the world of just sports and not life stuff, the, the Knicks sports-wise are the biggest sort of, it doesn't even, but the Knicks sports-wise are a total train wreck. And um, look, I hope you, you should call Masai today and please ask him, uh, you know, please ask him to come. If he wants a cameo on Billions, he's got it. If he comes to the Knicks, let's, maybe that's the thing that's going to get him, you know, get him over the edge. Well, I just don't see any other way that they can turn this around. Like even you had the Lakers, they were becoming a train wreck along the lines of what the Knicks are. And the reason yeah. it was able to turn around was because LeBron James wanted to live here. And that's it. It had really nothing to do with the Lakers, Magic Johnson. Like, but also hey, you can't compare Jeannie, but as bad as that was with the Magic leaving and Jeannie, as bad as all that shit was. Right, it wasn't toxic. You cannot compare it. You cannot compare it. That's just incompetence. That's not, that's not Machiavellian evil. No, which it was, I think is what is going on at the garden. <laughs> well, it wasn't, you know, it was incredibly dysfunctional, which I, I think if you're going to be favor, you know, favorable to the Knicks, you would say it's just an impossibly, incredibly dysfunctional place. But I think the difference is LeBron's like, I'll make it work. I'm fine. I really want to live in Los Angeles. I don't think there's a scenario where you have an NBA player go, I'm going to throw away every reservation I have. I just want to live in New York and the Knicks make the most sense for me because we just had this with Durant. Durant wanted to move to New York and guess what? He didn't play for the Knicks. That the, the well, Lakers you're not bringing thing. Up, you're not bringing up your friend, Rich Kleiman. Yeah. Right. Who's, is he taking the job? So that's the other guy who could really take the job, right? I mean, that's what everyone always thought was going to happen. Yeah, but if you're going to do that, do that a year ago when he could still potentially steer Durant to be a Nick. But sure, yeah, I mean, it's it may it's funny because I make fun of the Knicks a lot, and the Knicks fans have reached this point where you know they're like they're like Italians. There's like no, no, only we can make fun of us. You don't get you don't get to say well, anything. Absurd. It's just us. I'm that's half absurd. Italian. I can say that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just think it sucks to have a bad Knicks team. I'm old enough to remember 
growing up with hearing the Willis and Clyde stories and all that stuff, I'm old enough to remember the great Bernard King season. He's still the most terrified I've ever been with a Celtics opponent. I'm old enough to remember all the Riley's Nick stuff. And, and the thing that I miss, and this is what made me think about it with the John Morant is it's still an awesome place to either be at a basketball game or watch a basketball game that's being televised if MSG is in the yes. right state of mind. And that's, I've made that point 10,000 times on my pod, but we're just losing that. Every year we lose a year where it would be this incredible ba- basketball kind of atmosphere. And, you know, we're seeing this now with the Clippers. They get Paul George, they get Kawhi, and the crowd's dead two-thirds of the time. And and a lot of times the guys aren't even playing together. There's no real history with the team other than like the five, 6,000 season ticket holders who never gave up their tickets. And it's just a weird vibe. It's artificial. It's not, there's, they haven't won anything yet. The fans don't really know the players. If you put that, that Clippers team in MSG for a month, people would lose their fucking yeah. minds. And that's the bummer. Well, it's a good analogy to the Nets, right? Like people care about the Nets. They cheer the Nets, but the Nets don't move the city at all. No. They, and I, I like the Nets and I, like Sean Marks, I like the guys who run the Nets, but the Nets don't mean anything in, in New York City. They no, just don't. And it would take decades for for that to flip. And that's why I brought up... The- I mean, when KD plays next year, like when KD plays next year, if they go on some insane run, I could see the city getting caught up in a little bit of a fever. And I think then maybe the Dolan hatred plays into it. But but the, But as of right now, the Nets don't. They don't. They're just not part of the fabric of the town. Yeah. Um, it's a mixed town. You don't see Nets hats, really. You know, you'll see sometimes like at night, you'll see a Nets hat when someone's wearing it just for style. But sports fans are not walking around the city wearing Nets hats. They're just not. Well, I wish you the best. I hope, I hope Masai, look, I think he's done a great job in Toronto. And I would also really respect and appreciate if he just said, you know what? I'm really happy here. I've built something great. I want to stay. Right. And that that would be awesome. I, I think more people should do that. Well, I'm a big loyalty oh, guy. Everything I've said on here, I'm going to take back in person. Like, if I see you All-Star Weekend, because we talked about that we might both be there for, like, the Thursday or Friday. Yeah. If we're in a room and Masai's in the room, will you bring me over and introduce me to him? And then I can try to sell him on this, even though I know it's... I, I'll say everything I don't believe. I'll just lie to him for a half hour. Well, that's... Try, will you put me next to him? So that's a really good way to end this, because Masai will almost definitely be at All-Star Weekend. And he's going to be sports hit on by Knicks fans, like he's <laughs> like he's the only girl at yeah, a, at an Air Force bar I'm or saying. something. Yeah, he's everybody's going to be making that's a run at him. Yeah, I just want to know: Will you be my? Will you be my Messiah wingman? I'd, I'd have to that's be your wingman. The thing is, I don't know if you guys are going to make it better or worse. You're going to be so desperate, you might scare him <laughs> off. Messiah. <laughs> Just be my wingman. My favorite player is Dave DeBusher. Please bring joy to my life again. It's going to be tough. All right, Simmons. All right, Koppelman. When's Billion start? Uh, May 3rd. All right, May May 3rd. 3rd. Great. It's a great day. It's my wedding anniversary. Thank you. All right, Bill. Talk soon. All right, we're bringing Wesley Morrison in one second. Chances are you've heard of Salesforce, but if you're like a lot of people, you don't know exactly what Salesforce does. Well, the simple answer is this. Salesforce brings companies and customers together. How does it work? Well, With Salesforce, different employees across your different departments, like Steve in sales, Mary in marketing, Katie in customer service, even I in IT, they all get a single shared 360-degree view of each of your customers. That means two things. First, whenever your customers talk with Steve in sales or everybody else, they'll feel like they're having a relationship with one united company, not a series of disconnected departments, which is important. Second, 
Even more important, it means Stephen Sales and everybody else have everything they need to make your customers happy and they're all interconnected. Those customers won't be just a little happy. They'll be happy like, wow, I love this company. They really get me. I'm never going anywhere happy. That kind of happy. And when your customers are that happy, everyone's happy. That's how Salesforce brings companies and customers together. Makes sense? To learn more, visit salesforce.com slash learn more. Let's talk some movies. All right, Wesley Morris is here. Sometimes we fly him out and we just put you on a whole bunch of podcasts and <laughs> we just wind you up and you go. Yeah, ping pong, pinball, pinball Wesley. Yeah, Oscars this weekend. Yes. I can never get through an Oscars week without talking to you for at least 10 minutes on what's going on. I'm not sure what's happened to the Oscars because mm. we have all these prohibitive favorites. There's no drama at all. Everyone thinks 1917 is going to win. Isn't that wild? Everyone thinks Phoenix is going to win for the Joker. Yeah. That Renee Zellweger is going to win for Judy, which I, I think like five expletive. people have seen. No, no, no. It made money. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. And then Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Yes. And those are kind of done. Yes. Everyone, they, they, they're like huge, huge favorites. It doesn't even make sense to bet on them. They're such huge favorites. Yeah. It would be like betting on, I don't know, the 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 Oklahoma City Thunder to beat some Division Three team. <laughs> those are like the kind of odds you have. I guess the only one that's kind of, oh, even Best Director, Sam Mendes is a 25-1 favorite. That's wild. What is happening? Is it just that's the wild. internet has made this, that the consensus of thought, now nobody goes against the grain and they just kind of follow the pack. What's happening here? I don't know. I think I really feel like increasingly there are just enough people. I don't know how voters individually are feeling about not pressure to pick a certain person, but the like doing the work to really choose the thing you love the most. Because every year you read those blind items that Variety or Hollywood Reporter or Daily Beast do. Yeah. Um, and you read these Oscar voters say things and they all have, they all seem to have individual taste, right? To hear these voters justify why they're voting for who they're voting for, you you would think anything could win. But that never happens. It, it will rarely happens, right? So I also believe that in this particular year, I think there's a lot of politics going on, like, like movie industry politics, right? Wow. Explain. So- I don't think that people, I think there's a number of things happening. I think people don't like Parasite that much. I think they see it and they think, oh, that was, that was okay. I don't know how they could think that. I it think actually got, it's like Robert Covington right now at the NBA trade deadline. <laughs> it's gotten hyped up too much. Yeah. And now people are going, wait a second, wait, he's not yeah. that good. Right. I think Parasite, everybody's like, it's great. It's awesome. You got to see it. And you, you end up going and you're like, yeah, it's good. But you're not like, oh my God, you're right. I'm blown away. Yeah. I can't speak. But some people are leaving mad. Like, I don't know if they're leaving. They're probably just watching it at home. But like, they're they're watching this movie and they're just kind of like, well, okay. I, 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 rich people, poor people. And I think that, <laughs> I mean, I really think that they think it's that simple. Yeah. And I also think- It's good. That, I really liked it. I didn't think it was like the best picture of the year. I Well, I do. But- You do? Really? I think What's the case? Give those, me the case in a minute. I think it's just, okay, the very simple thing is it takes a story, it takes an idea that I can't believe that in a hundred and, you know, 20 years of movies, nobody's ever done before. Nobody's ever thought to turn the class divide into, into a game in this particular way. Yeah. 
And by the time they get to the sec, by the time the father, by the time the father gets the job, so the third, the third introduction of the the glomming on to this family, I'm just, I was just laughing. I was just laughing with happiness at the brilliance of this idea. He's such a great of these nine movies, and most, like almost all of them, are perfectly made. I would say. Um, that's the one that surprised me the most in terms of how tight and smart and, and surprising it was. The one thing I don't like about it is the ending, but in talking to people about who also sort of are, the ending is sort of anticlimactic, but it also needs to be there. None, nobody could come up with a better ending. So this is the ending this movie needs to have this elegiac sort of tragic fantasy ending. I liked Once Upon a Time the most. Uh, I mean, as you know, I also love that movie. We did a podcast about that on this podcast back in uh, August. Wait, I, wait. Let's go back, though. We did a rewatchables that's coming this week about it. Already? Yeah. Well, we do one Oscar movie every year. Oh, of the nine. Right, 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 we did okay. Get Out. We okay. did A Star is that's, Born. That's and true. now we do Once Upon a Time. Um, that seems fair. Yeah. Um, I think Ford and Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari of those nine movies, th- that and Little Women, I think, are the most... Those are going to prove to be the most rewatchable of those. I'm so glad you said that. I feel like those have become the underrated, I'm not sure what happened in each case movies. I thought Little Women was excellent. Little Women! (laughs) It was so good. The crazy thing about this year is there are two stories. I just wrote a story about this for the paper. And the, 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 the maddening thing about these nine movies, and I'll get back to the, into back to what people are saying about, who they why why 1917 is going to win for political reasons um movie industry political reasons but i just wrote a piece about like how this is the first year since they expanded the field to 10 move to, to up to 10 movies that i have liked every single one of these movies more or less except for one and what's the one i don't like joker oh, i didn't um, either yeah i don't you like you and joker. i were really aligned this year on what we liked and yeah. didn't like yeah i like that i just um, I didn't, I don't like Joker. I didn't have fun. I thought his performance was awesome, but I've seen a lot of movies that where I thought the performance was awesome, but I didn't necessarily love the movie. Right. I don't even, I don't even, Joaquin Phoenix is one of my four favorite male actors. And this does not, I feel like this is the first time he is looking for a character as a, like we are watching him do work that I think gets done before he starts shooting in this movie. Um, and part of it is he is playing a person who's changing, but he's always playing people who are undergoing some sort of psychological he, change. Wasn't he so much more interesting in The Master? Oh, well, everything he was doing. If you're going to start there, then I mean, I'm just, just saying, like, why, like, why just did, give just give Antonio Banderas the Oscar? I mean, <laughs> right? That's good point. If that's where you're going to start. But I'm saying, like, I don't know why I took this movie for people to be like, here's his Oscar movie when he was so good in The but, Master, but. I mean, the thing that... And that was a more interesting performance. The interesting thing that we should talk about is that, like, he is one of those people where, like, he's just a person who is owed, right? Like, it's he's been... He's, so it's the set of a woman he's, thing. He's, quote, suffered so long. Just give him... Just give it to him. Not that he's begging for it. Um, because when he took this part, I was like, oh, well, you know, he clearly, he clearly understands where the business is going. And... I would never accuse him ever of like being interested in, in getting any prizes for the work he's doing. But I also feel like there is a sense that he's been nominated three other times. I think maybe, maybe four. Do you remember who um, he lost to the master? Who, who won that year? Oh, uh, I can find out as you're talking. Keep your point going and I'll have the Anyway, 
I I feel like if I sat here and thought about it, I'd come up with it, but I'm not going to remember. That was 2013. Um, uh, 2013. So we have... Is that Matthew McConaughey? No, it's not McConaughey. Oh, he lost to Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln. Oh, well, that's that's just bad luck for Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I remember having an issue with that at the time. You should have... I mean, just as a matter of history, you should... <laughs> I have a beard on. Where's my Oscar? Oh, you blaspheme. He's fine. You blaspheme. He's fine in you that know, movie. I thought Affleck should have been nominated that year. Argo? I mean, it was a good year. You had a really good Bradley Cooper, really yeah. good Joaquin Phoenix, really good Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, Denzel is fl- in flight. You had one of the best Denzels. That what? might That's be the best. That's a top four Denzel. That might, that, who's the fifth person? Uh, Hugh Jackman and Les Miserables. Look, I... I'm just he uh, talk, that's a guy who wants it. It's a good right? category. That's a guy who wants it. Those that is maybe the most competitive best actor collection in a There's long time. There's some star time. power in that. That one with Those that, are four and a half great all-time performances. I mean, all right, I won't I can't argue for Jackman. Denzel. Denzel in flight where you're like, "Oh man, I actually think he might be taking this character home with him." Yeah, <laughs> like, like he might. We know Denzel throws himself in his roles. I hope he didn't do it this time yeah. around. Like he definitely. That was a different side of. I like when Denzel takes me somewhere that I haven't gone with Denzel yet, and in that movie, I, we goes, never seen that before. He goes over the. Yeah, it's like oh man, he never plays people with that many flaws who also aren't like he's not entirely redeemed by the time that movie's over. No. And that's I like I like that version of him. I also think that's the that Bradley Cooper performance completely changed our perception of Bradley Cooper. Wait, can we go mine. back to Phoenix? Yes, yes. So yes. you're talking about how he's owed. Mm-hmm. This is a theme over and over again with the Oscars. I don't like it, but no, but this that's is how it what works. usually happens. The part I don't get is Renee Zellweger already won. Listen, do you want to so go there now? Do we owe her? Do you want to go there now? I just thought Scarlett was better. I agree. Well. You know what's funny? Harder part. Judy and Marriage Story are the same movie. And mm-hmm. Judy is satisfying the part of Marriage Story that people have a problem with with regard to Scarlett Johansson's character and the movie sort of being more on Adam Driver's side. Yeah. Judy is totally about what happens to, to, a, to an actress trying to figure out her life in a divorce. <laughs> well, Judy also, Judy. Judy also has a really good like last scene that you leave the movie with for the actress. Yes. Well, where you're like, oh man, that was amazing. But it's like the last thing you think about when you leave the movie, whereas marriage story, her Scarlet's best scene happens like what? 30 minutes yeah, in the movie. Yeah. That yeah. long one shot of her and Laura Dern. Yeah. I feel like the thing about Renee Zellweger in this movie, she's not owed. I actually do think that first of all, Joaquin Phoenix is also benefiting from this bias, which is it's a movie about a performer. We're not thinking of, I mean, we're talking about this in terms of race in a lot of ways because it's a, it's a, it's a movie that, that thinks it's saying something about the state of the country. Yeah. But I also think that at the end of the day, Joaquin Phoenix is playing a performer in the same way that Renee Zellweger is. There's just like a, any insight that an actor can give other acting professionals about the craft of, of performance in some way. Yeah. I think that is a thing that 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 Joaquin Phoenix is doing in this film. Can Renee Zellweger win an Oscar the same year she made that terrible Netflix show? Because I say no. <laughs> Wait, what terrible Netflix yeah, show? She's on a Netflix show. 
Speak some more. No, it came out like six months ago. She's some overlord who's maneuvering stuff. I watched one episode. I was like, wow, tough times for Renee Zellweger. Now she's going to win the Oscar. Cottage of Cards? What is it called? It's bad. Go watch it. Okay. So let's do the five-year Oscars game. Okay. Five years from now, who are we going to say should have won the Oscar? Best picture, go. Uh, probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Paras- Parasite. Might. One of those two. I think it's going to be Once Upon a Time. Best actor, who are we going to say should have won? Um, Leo. I was going to say Leo, too. It'll be DiCaprio. That'll because- be the five years from now performance where they're like, oh, man, maybe we should have appreciated that was Leo's gra- last great performance. Of the five people, I think it's probably going to be Leonardo DiCaprio that, that we'll... We'll say that about best actress. Um, I don't. Here's the tough part about these five people. I think that Scarlett Johansson will will have done better work by then, and she she is really good in this movie. And if I'm voting for one person, I probably would vote for her. But I've been thinking a lot about about Judy in the last. Uh, Judy was good. Weeks. I was surprised that I liked it. I. She really is doing it. Yeah. She goes, there is a moment where she's singing. The first song she sings in London, she she throws the mic cord over her shoulder like it's a shawl. And that is such a, like, that's such a move. I don't know if Judy Garland actually did it, but then she has to remove the cord. And it's just so, there's so much drama, tragedy, and comedy happening at every single moment of that performance. I, I, it, it's so kind you're of saying no it might last. Okay. I, I think that's All the right. one that lasts. But Charlize Theron, by the way, just to just to say this, I don't know how she did that. I don't know how she gave She's that excellent. I don't know how she did it. I you watch it. I mean, the makeup is a part of it, but it's it's also the voice, obviously. But there's something about Charlize Theron being like maybe one of the very few Laura Dern is also also has this characteristic in her which is to play the most unlikable people, not in a way that makes you like them, but makes you admire the person playing them for going for all the unpleasantness and trusting that there's enough material there to not make the person seem evil, but just to make them seem complex in the way that people are complex. I thought she had a good year because I thought she was really good in Longshot. Oh, she's really good in long shots. I like when Charlize is just Charlize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, Which, that like young adults like that too. She's like a little crazier Charlize, but I like when she goes back to the basics. Brad Pitt, I think, will be the one that lasts. But you know supporting. how I feel about that performance. We talked about it extensively. Best supporting actress. Yes. I got to say, I'm not totally happy with any of the five candidates. Laura Dern, good, not great. I don't know why she's like a runaway in this <sighs> category because I felt like she's just playing Laura Dern. Laura she's Dern. Ba- she's basically this character in Big Little Lies, right? Well, it's a, yeah, it's except a variation no, of the same. Except that she does I'm a nothing. Professional, I'm aggressive. I know. Right. But the little, Big Little Lies, that's a great character. And I she, think that's a better character right. than this character. Well, but see, the thing about this character is, and this is what I'll say about Marriage Story. I think that everything involving everybody who's not Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson is really wonderful. I think the, all the law stuff in this movie is great. I think Ray Liotta, the guy who plays Ray Liotta's virtually silent assistant, who is a person whose face I recognize, but whose name I 
can't conjure right now. Alan Alda, Julie Haggerty, Merritt Weaver. I didn't love Julie Haggerty. I love Julie Haggerty in this. I wanted like Meryl Streep in that spot. Oh God, that would have been too much. And like, there's a kind of, there's a thing about Julie Haggerty that if you're an Albert Brooks fan. I know, but I couldn't separate the Albert Brooks part of it. Uh, Or maybe that was the intention. Well, that's fair. But I would just say that like the thing about that movie is I feel like Noah Baumbach basically wrote what's great about that performance, right? That is just screenwriting. And I'm not going to say any actor can deliver it. I also think Laura Dern is one of those owed people, right? Okay. Laura Dern's been around a long time. She should have had an Oscar for any of her David Lynch I work. I feel the least strongly about that category. I don't uh, feel like there's, I won't well, be telling my grandkids Florence about Pugh. anybody. Florence Pugh is really good. So is Scarlett Johansson. That's a, it's a good category. No, but it, that's best. Of, oh, it's Scar- I'd for yeah. supporting. Scarlett yeah, yeah. Johansson is really good in Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh is really good in Little Women. Um, who are the can other? You do your, can you do your thing about why, um, why 1917 winning is a political thing? Oh, right. Hollywood politics. So I feel like people, there's a real fight among, I would, I don't know if it's everybody. I would guess it's older people and people who've been in the industry for a long time about what a movie is. Yeah. And it isn't just the one, the quote, one shot, unquote gimmick. It's also Mendez actually saying whenever he wins or the couple times he's won that like, I got to make a real movie and you guys should go to a movie theater and see it. There is this like so smart, laying so down. smart marketing for Yes. Him. I mean, there's a real, there's like, I mean, it, because everything has to be divided now in this binary way, it's either you watched it like via Netflix and, and Netflix is ruining movies or you go see this wonderful movie that, that, that no streaming company made and... Is it is a sort of genre genre classic? So Lamarcus Aldridge should do this, is what you're saying. He should say, <laughs> "Look, nobody comes to basketball games anymore. Yep. Everybody's shooting threes. Come to the arena and watch me take long twos. If he and he'll win the MVP. I mean, what what if he did say that though? Right. I also feel bad if if 1917 if Mendez wins a second Oscar and 1917 wins for best picture. You know, how I'm going to feel bad for among yeah. all the people to feel bad for. You could feel bad for Greta Gerwig or Bon Jung Ho. I'm going to, I'm going to pour one out for Christopher Nolan mm. because he did this already. <laughs> I mean, Dunkirk, I, I mean, I've, I've complicated feelings about Dunkirk, which is ultimately a great movie. My yeah. complicated feelings about Dunkirk are about like, I don't know if you feel this way. I just feel like that is the first honest Chris, Christopher Nolan movie. Okay. It's the one where he just says, you know what? I really don't have any ideas about like life and society. I just want to make a make a good gripping movie. All my movies are about filmmaking. I only have movie ideas. And yeah. like I'm really good at figuring out what to do with time, but not if you have to make the time changes mean something larger than them operating within the world of a cinematic experience. I feel like Dunkirk, the genius of Dunkirk is that it's him just being like, you know what? The Dark Knight, I didn't know how to make that movie mean more than it could have meant if I just like read the torture memos. I, I, I don't know. But Dunkirk is a thing that happened. I can take a thing that happened and just like, I can jazz it until it's just the most exciting movie experience you have. Um, and he didn't, he's not, he didn't get anything for that. I mean, he, you know, his some of his technicians did, but I don't know. It's just going to be a really interesting year. Sam Mendes, two. Two Oscars. How many does Tarantino have? Uh, one. Just like two. screenwriting, right? I think he's got one he for Pulp Fiction for and one. Pictures. Maybe one. Did he win for Django? I think he won for Django. For just screenwriting. Oh, and Glorious Bastards. He won for one of those, I believe. But he never won Best Movie. He's never won Best Picture and he's never won Best Director. 
So why don't people feel like they owe him? Um, because he talks a lot and he probably in the minds of a lot of people seems like he's one because he, I mean, he has right. one and he's somebody who I think whatever the ninth, whatever the last movie is, um, it'll right. be the one that he, before we go, things for. I'm going to give you my, as promised from the last podcast, my eight worst movies oh, of the year. Bring it. Number eight, Richard Jewell. Oh, as we discussed. An incredible fatal flaw where they just make up this entire plot of John Hamm getting seduced by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution character played by um, Olivia, Wilde. Olivia Wilde. She's really good in that She's part, She's good though. in that movie. She's really good. Unfortunately, this never happened. Right. And this yeah, is the equivalent of the OJ movie where it's like, oh, Marsha Clark got seduced by some guy <laughs> and gave, gave her the glove idea. And it's like, that didn't happen. You're making a factual movie and you've just made up the key part of it. Yeah. I'm she's, out really, of that movie. she's really good at it in the part though. I, she's good. She's good. Kathy yeah. Bates Kathy is good. Kathy Bates is good. And Sam Rockwell's really good. All the supporting performances, even, even the lead guy, I think all the acting in the movie is really good. It's a really good movie. But it's cheap. And it gets completely submarine by the dumbest movie decision of the it, year. So I'm putting it in the top eight. Uh, number seven, The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Oh. So... They the same director just made another movie, which I also watched called The Haunting The Haunting of Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh no. He takes these real, real life things and makes horror movies out of them. Ew. I didn't see The Haunting of Sharon. This Tate. movie is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. The only reason it's not number one on the list is because they knew it was bad. They just wanted to put Sharon Tate in the thing. Are they but, dramatic reenactments? Yeah, dramatic. It's like basically a much better Lifetime movie with like a horror bent taking a real life thing. Mm. Terrible idea. That guy can go to hell. Oh my. Number six, Rocket Man. Oh. If my son, who likes all music movies, yeah. and every time he goes to a music movie, comes home and plays the songs for three days. Yeah. And he was like, what the hell is going on? He, he was so ready to like this movie and was so disappointed and it was such a misfire, and it speaks to what's happened with movies and with documentaries a little bit too, which I, I call these documentaries that are infomercials, documercials. Oh, sure, Like yeah. the Taylor Swift one on Netflix, which I actually enjoyed watching, but it's, it's a good. Doc, it's a documercial. Yes. It's not fair. a documentary. No, fair. We're not documenting anything. We're documercialing. <laughs> you, you are documumercialing the day that she thought she was going to get a bunch of Grammy nominations and got none. That was the only honest ones. moment in the movie. Right. <laughs> For 10 seconds, she's like... And she's melting down and she's like, I just got to make a better album. And I'm like, oh, no wonder you're so successful. You right. just you just digested failure in 10 seconds. Um, this Rocket Man is a movie commercial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's here's Elton John. He's going to be a producer. Here's this sanitized version of his life. Yeah. Here's somebody doing an impression of him. Those aren't movies. Number five. I, I'm going to... I'm. This isn't the fifth worst movie of the year. Oh, no. <laughs> but I was so disappointed in it that I'm putting it number five. And I'm disappointed in it for a specific reason. Just Mercy. Oh, okay. I, I want to hear your reason. I'm so upset by Michael B. Jordan's performance in this. Uh, yeah. I wanted him to be the awesome, charismatic lawyer. This was like his moment movie. And I don't know what happened. He just whiffs. Bill. And I love Michael B. Jordan. Be nice. I like Bill. Michael B. Jordan. I think it's a whiff. I think it's a it's Bill. it's a loss for him as a performance. This is like the Oscar performance, and he doesn't pull it off. And Bill. I don't get it because I thought he would do better. Jamie Foxx and Rob Morgan are amazing in this They're movie. They're awesome. And Jamie Michael Fox, B. Jordan's yeah. like not good. 
Jamie, I mean, uh, Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan needs a director who is going to, if he's not going to work with Coogler, who's going to let him be a movie star, he needs an act. He needs a director who's really going to push him till he thinks he you, might break. How can you watch Fruitvale State? You watch him in Fruitvale Station and Creed, and then you watch him in this movie, and it's like he's been replaced by a Michael B. Jordan pod. Yeah. I don't get it. I think it's also playing Brian Stevenson, too. Brian Stevenson, I, I've met him a couple times. He is the kindest, mildest-mannered person. Like, it would seem so false for him to have, like, a, you can't handle the right, truth. Right, right. You know, he can't. Brian Stevenson doesn't need to go into court with that. He's done his homework. So, ma- so maybe that's the reason, row. right? Maybe he scaled it back. T- yeah. For I mean, whatever reason, but it's just, it wasn't a compelling performance. No, and I, I wanted it to be awesome. It's not. Jamie Foxx and Rob Morgan are so good in that movie that you kind of just, you only want to spend time on death row with them. So this wasn't the fifth Which worst movie Which is a crazy the thing to say. It was the fifth most disappointed. I guess this is my list. This is the fifth most disappointed I've been in a movie this year was this, because I was just like, I thought he was going to like absolutely crush this. No, I no. read about it. I was like, oh, this is it, man. This is the Oscar. He's kind of in a bad situation. You just can't, you can't do that with, with Brian Stevenson. He just doesn't, he's not that person. I want him to learn from this. I still believe... I still think he can win an Oscar, but he's got to go go back and look at this and go, what what happened here? What did I do wrong? What decisions did I make that were incorrect? The person who robbed the bank in or the art museum or wherever in, in Black Panther, that guy, the guy who shoots uh, yeah. Andy Serkis. Yeah. Like that guy is a movie that, did he does he kill Andy Circus? I can't remember now. Anyway, the guy before he, the, who, who, before he gets to Wakanda is the most interesting person in Black Panther. I want I want him to bottle a little bit of that. I look at actors like athletes. I think they can have a bad season, a bad playoff series. It doesn't mean they're bad. Right. This was his version of just a bad playoff series. Yeah, I want fair. him to learn from it, bounce back. My number four worst movie, The Intruder. What Dennis is that? Quaid. Oh, he sells oh, his house. Oh, this movie is so bad. It's so oh bad. My God. It's the worst movie. <laughs> I urge everyone to watch it. It is if such you like a bad missed, action movie. It's such a missed opportunity. It doesn't even know what it is. No, it's like all they have is the title. They're like, hey, we have this movie. It's called The Intruder. What's the plot? So this guy sells his house, but you- doesn't want to give it up. All right, let's just make it. And, we'll, and on the fly, we'll create some of the seeds. It's such a weird movie because you got you got to be more specific, Bill. It's, I don't want to spoil it though because I actually want people to watch it because it's that bad. All right, but the All movie right, the movie the movie is the movie is messed up and it doesn't go far. It's my favorite genre. It's the blank from hell. I know it's a blank from hell that doesn't even go to heck. I forgot to text you. It I knew just, you would have seen this. Ugh. Yeah, it's a it's yeah. It doesn't go to hell. It goes to heck. Right. It just and it's like, am I is this guy evil? Am I supposed it, to feel bad for him? It's a, it's, it really, consult us. it's, it's a Jack Lemon movie from like 1974 <laughs> that somebody was like, you know, we should just make it a thriller. Just make it scary. I just feel like the race stuff, the movie doesn't, the movie is so afraid of his being white and the homeowners being black that it can't even really, it doesn't really even successfully engage with that. No, it, it more has the people be black because they thought it was a way to get more of an audience for the movie. Yes, that interested in exploring. Yes, we it. we apparently love the racist part. Movies. Would be like the awesome part of it if they did it correctly, where he's like, "I can't believe I sold my house." And yeah, yep, yep. Speaking of movies that try to target a specific audience and failed miserably, my third worst movie of the year, a truly atrocious movie. I can't believe it happened. Ma, 
<laughs> a talk no, it's this this is the same problem as the intruder in a weird way, right? It is a horror movie that is afraid to f- fully be about the racism that is engendering the psychopathology of, of Octavia Spencer in this movie. Right? So she has two misfires. She is this movie and she's she's not that good and loose. Yeah. That's fair. She's I mean, just kind of miscast and she's an actress I really like and I, I, I appreciate and respect that she's trying to branch out, but she went over two. Yes. And this Ma is bad. Ma's my bad. kids who will watch any horror movie. I just watched Countdown with my son a couple days ago. He'll watch literally anything. And he was like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> if my son doesn't like your horror movie, you failed. My number two worst movie of the year. Late night. Oh. Ooh. Spicy choice. I don't like it either, but this movie blew. I didn't like it. Emma Thompson. As an 11.30 network yeah. late night comedy yeah. host. I know. I know. Was literally the dumbest casting decision <laughs> of the year. What? She's competing against like Jimmy Fallon. This In America, this is somebody who's going to be a success. She's yeah. going to be telling jokes at the top with a monologue. Like, what the fuck are you doing? This is, yeah. This I mean. Is, this is where like trying to go against the grain goes wrong. Because. This is like, they might have as well have Emma Thompson as the point guard of the Lakers. <laughs> Honestly, can't believe she's the point guard of the Lakers. Wow. She's really battling sexism. I would watch that though. Well, the interesting thing about the movie though, and I hate to say this, but like all the good writing is with the, with the asshole men. Mindy Kaling wrote this movie. Right. And all the men have really good comedy writing. And there's nothing, I, I have nothing. I mean, the, I, the, I, I can't The romantic relationship's bad. Yeah. I just, yes. so if yes. I'm judging this by not what's the worst movie as much as how disappointed I was in the execution of the movie. It's also a world you kind of know, I feel like. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I was so disappointed. Yeah. Uh, my number one worst movie, Serenity. Bill McConaughey. This, this is why we're friends. McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. I knew it was bad. Mm, in a hotel mm, room. I'm mm, in New York. I'm mm, with my wife. Mm. Can't find anything. Let's get a hotel pay-per-view. Oh, there's McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Oh my God. I heard this was bad. Well, it can't be that bad. They're both in it. Ah, let's give it a shot. You're bearing so many leads. Disappointing. Right now. It's awful. <laughs> it's inexplicable. The plot is the dumbest plot in the last maybe five you, years. You couldn't even explain the it's plot. It's incoherent. I don't understand why they made it. Did you take a picture of your face when they got to the end in the big reveal? Did you take a picture of your face? Which big reveal? The, the big reveal the, should have been me realizing <laughs> I lost nineteen ninety nine on my hotel room pay-per-view. What? Whatever it was. Oh, my God. No. So Matthew McConaughey needs to give you some of that Cadillac money or Here, Lincoln or whatever. Here's my idea. I think you have to lose your Oscars if you make a movie that bad. I think there's a there's a quality line, and if that line gets I, crossed, I don't even I can't you even have to give the you. Oscar back. Yeah. I want there to be more accountability. Your Oscar should go on probation. You should have you to put pro, in layaway pro, yeah, for four years. You have to like it has to go to the pawn shop. So or if you're something. gonna make Serenity, you have to be really sure. Like yep. you're like ah, oh, this script's bad, but I'll take the paycheck. It's like no. Can't do it. So You're, that's yeah. Those are my nominees. Oh my god, that Wesley. So we can bad. hear you more in the big picture, and we can hear you on two rewatchables that we have coming up. Thank yes. You. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Okay, Claire Dane's coming up in one second. First, your local police department probably receives a hundred calls a night from burglar alarms, and usually have no idea whether the alarm is real. 
All the alarm company can tell them is the motion sensor went off. Well, Simply Safe Home Security is different. You get comprehensive protection for your home. Real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of any break-ins. They can tell them where the intruder is in the home, whether they're armed, what they're doing. Police will dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglary alarm. <laughs> burglary. I get, can you say burglary, Kyle? Burglary. Keep that in. Burglary. Burglary. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home. Entry, motion, and glass breaks, sensors, guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. And it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. Set it up yourself. No tools needed. Or they can do it for you. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS today and get a free Simply Safe security camera, normally $100. Go today. It's free. It will help you capture crucial evidence for the police and get 350% faster. Dispatch, go to simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two eyes. And now, Claire Danes. Okay, Claire Danes is here. Hi. I feel like you've been in my life for a long time. Really? Dating back. I'm a 90s guy. Oh, yeah. Well, then. Then your show started, but it was pre-internet. Yes. My so-called life. That's right. It would have had a totally different outcome, I think, in just yeah, about probably, any other probably, yeah. era. Yeah, it, we didn't even make it through a full season. We were right. canceled at 19 episodes. Um, and But then it got bought by all these other outlets and had this kind of bizarrely long afterlife, especially on MTV. I think it was just like played on a loop on yeah, MTV yeah, yeah. for years after that. So it, um, yeah, it was, it made, it made an impact, but kind of after the fact in a way like so yeah it but. seems like there's one show every year like that because the next decade was friday night lights where right it was it also could... jason kadams who was a writer on my so-called life oh that's a good point yeah winnie really had a hard time delegating to any other writer or voice but jason was worthy yeah yeah because yeah. that one hits right before this whole streaming thing happens and the ratings weren't quite high enough for NBC. Right, right. And it's this constant battle whether to keep it. Yeah. But if it comes along five years later, it's golden. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, uh, there's just, there's just so much television now, but it, you know, it gets to survive because it all, it seems like everything's so atomized now. Um, so you don't get canceled, but your viewership's probably a lot smaller. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know, remember? Yeah, think about my so-called life, probably it would have been like a top five show now. Yeah, just I think we that's had less right. Networks. That's right. Yeah. It's really, I think the effects of that are actually pretty profound. Um, I don't know if they're entirely good. I mean, there is, there is value in it, I think, for yeah. sure. Um, but then there's that echo chamber problem. I think like both shows probably have the same thing in common where it resonated really deeply with a specific demo. Yeah, and I also think it was very fresh. Was it was it was pretty novel. And I love that um, David Bowie quote, it doesn't matter who does it first, it matters who does it second. You know, right. like I, I do think it was, it, 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 it was a little early with its um, style and its... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's... Met content, <laughs> you know, it was unusual to have a, a girl, insecure, kind of heady, retiring girl at the center yeah. of the story, and, and to just spend all that time in her internal, my so-called life. Like, 
That what? was an amazing TV year. It, it was feels it? like a amazing lot of TV stuff year? changed. Yeah. Really? Because you else? had, that was when you had Friends in ER. Oh, right. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. when you had NYPD really starting to push yeah. the envelope. Yeah. That's true. Crime drama That's was. true. And Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskovitz uh, were the executive producers and they had done 30 something. Yeah. So it was, you know. Related to that stylistically, I think, which is but, now coming back, which is how we know we're oh, old. Yeah, they're is it? they're they're oh, bringing wow. it back with the I think the original people, but so, it's going to be their children. Uh huh. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All but right. But then all the originals get to still be on it. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Everything circles back. It is funny how some shows live on and some other shows just go away. Like I think my so-called life lived on and was able to keep resonating with these new generations of kids. Yeah. My soul cycle instructor of all people approached me after class the other day and said that her, I, maybe it wasn't the other day because it was around the end of summer, but her daughter was going off to college and she was taking a few things. And one of them was a my so-called life like DVDs. Oh, yeah. I was like, people still watch DVDs? Never mind my so-called life. But it was just it's very surprising that it is still relevant. I mean, it's amazing. It's, 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 um, and people really do approach me about that as much as anything. Um, uh, which is, which is wonderful. I, I, it is, it's, you know, it's kind of a classic and, and I apparently a little timeless, which is fantastic. I'm still really close with Winnie Holtzman who wrote it, um, who also wrote Wicked. Um, so she's, She's rad. I haven't forced my daughter to watch it yet, or not forced. How but old is she? She's so she's fourteen, and she's the perfect age to watch it. She, I was I was waiting until she could get into that. I was thirteen when I did the pilot. I was fourteen when right. I filmed it. So she's age appropriate. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Although she does push the envelope with some of the stuff she watches. Like what? What is she into? Everybody like seems to be into Friends now again. Friends made a thing. huge comeback. But sorry, I, I no, that's what that's one of them. Yeah, because I think Friends has. Not only a timelessness, but um, it's just kind of a safe show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, all the things. It's a bomb. Yeah, you you can, your 11-year-old could watch it and you don't really yeah. have to worry about anything. All yeah, this stuff yeah, sitting. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then some of the other stuff, like Netflix had a show called The Society, which I didn't realize she was watching. Oh. And that has some themes in it. And right, right, right. I was like, all right, well, I guess we're pushing the envelope with that one. Yeah. But I fe- our philosophy is they're going to find this stuff anyway. And if we're throwing our bodies in front of it, that's just going to make them want to watch it more. I think that's probably true. Yeah. 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 But um, but I think this is the right time. There's really not that many shows with strong high school female character, you know, that are the centerpiece. No, of it. no. It is. Uh, it's It remains unusual. <laughs> right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you got that. You were living in New York, right? And then you yeah. moved out to do that, but yeah. you hadn't really done any work I at all, right? A little right? bit. I mean, a very little bit. I I I had I got an agent when I was twelve and yeah. I worked, you know, pretty consistently. So you but knew you like I did it. a TV movie here, a pilot that didn't get picked up there. You know, I had some experience, but it was modest to say the least. Um, but I had like much more confidence than I had any right to have. Yeah. Um, and they were an amazing group of people. Uh, uh, you know, I already named the key players, but it was, they were, you know, just lovely and responsible. And, you know, it was kind of an ideal way to begin. You know, it was, it was a very kind of healthy little culture that I landed in. Um, and, uh, but yeah, my parents 
and I just flew out to LA and was that being driven by you or them that you wanted to be an actor? It was really weird. Yeah. I was way in and I just had always known that I wanted to be an actor inexplicably, like from the age of five, it was just very evident that that was my calling. And then I was told around maybe nine, age eight or nine, that most actors didn't actually make that much money, which seemed concerning. Yeah. And so I, um, I then revised my plan and I was going to be a therapist and do acting workshops on the side. And, um, but, uh, But a year later, I made a formal announcement to my family at the dinner table. And I said, you know what? Money or no money, there is no plan B. I am an actor. And uh, they were like, okay, (laughs) that's great. And we're doing this. Uh, We're doing this. Again, they were, it felt like they were humoring me. But I started taking, I just knew, I just, I really, really did. And then I, I started taking classes at um, Lee Strasberg when I was 10. And then I went to- you know, uh, yeah. Hyman Roth. Yeah. And then Jesus. I went to a That's performing like one arts. of the two biggest acting schools. Yeah. It helps living in New York City. These, yeah. these resources are are readily available. But And then I went to a um, performing arts junior high school. And, and and there I met kids who were doing it professionally. And so I, kinda, I learned what a headshot was and how you go about getting one and finding an agent. And I had done a couple of student films because my best friend... I danced and my best friend danced and um, I'd done a few productions like in way, way off Broadway theaters, um, these avant-garde productions yeah. when I was a very tiny person. And, but, you know, and my, my friend had done a student film and that same director was going another student film. So her mother recommended me. And so I had this little bit of like footage that I could show agents and stuff and yeah, so I, you know, would rollerblade to my auditions. Um, that, I mean, dorky as all get up and That's very, uh, 90s. very sweaty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take off my like wrist guards. Yeah, and uh, you know, but the stakes were low. Like, you know, I, I think that helped. I had a day job of like going to junior high school. So, right. um, and I just really loved and that was it. it. Yeah, and then I I kept getting work and. Um, you know, and then I would get these screen tests every so often. My dad would fly out with me and we were all just so bewildered. And when my so-called life happened, when we moved out, it was literally the day after those 94 Northridge earthquakes, you know, that oh, massive man. earthquake. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff was going because OJ was that year That's too, right. right? Yeah. That's right. And, um, and Rodney King and not, you know, like it was, it was a lot. So, um, but no, but the earth was literally undulating you know when we got when we when we went like, it, yeah, yeah we we had these aftershocks it was just it was a very striking metaphor <laughs> you know we were uh, we were feeling like pretty like we were on shaky ground literally and figuratively but you know it all worked out my parents are still here I dragged them out here and my mom they had been artists and then my dad was a contractor for 20 years my mom ran a nurse uh, like a toddler school in our loft in Crosby Street for majority of my childhood but then they, my mom went back to grad school here in a place called Otis in her 50s, and they live in Santa Monica. And nice. My dad built studios from them in the backyard, and, you know, 25 years later, they're making their art and showing it to kids. It's cute. It's, it's, it all worked out, but I that's moved great. back as soon as I could. So I'm producing this movie, this documentary for HBO that's that's finished now, that Alex Winter did. Oh. 
and it's called Showbiz Kids. Oh, and it's really? About, um, okay. It's about um, when kids become famous, but mm. not like that's funny. The stereotypical way of the yeah. way you would think, where it's not like oh the Corys and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more about this little arc Corys. that kids have. And one of the big themes is about failure with child actors, and oh. you know either losing a role or you have yeah. a show that gets canceled huh. and you're a 14 year old. Yeah. Dealing, yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh shit. I can't yeah. believe yeah. my show's gone. Did well, you feel that? What, when you, what, yeah. To, but that what inspired you to make that movie? Alex is a former child actor uh-huh, and it uh-huh. was a topic that he was uh-huh. Uh-huh. really obsessed with. Mm. And for all the reasons that people wouldn't think it's a good idea. Yeah. You know, they would just think it's going to be like the sexy sensational version, but it's right. actually like you've, Thousands of kids every God, year trying to break so into the business. so much what that means. I, like yeah. My heart is kind of breaking just thinking about it. But yeah, that so sounds when, really fascinating. So when my so-called life got canceled, yeah. how did you deal with that just well, as— Well, we had shot the pilot and it did not get picked up. And I went to high school. Yeah. And um, and then kind of halfway through my first semester, it suddenly did get picked up. So my heart had been—I had been devastated already. Yeah. Um, and— uh, it was a good primer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was confusing. We, it, it yeah, it's, we, the viewership was low. We had so heard grumbling. Yeah, it, 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 it was not a total shock, but it was a disappointment for sure. Yeah. What do you wish you could have told yourself, the person you are now, till the four, tell the 14 year old? Be ready for this. Be ready for that. Is there any advice you would have given yourself? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I feel really, really lucky that I had the parents that I did, honestly, because Mm. they were with me the entire time in a way that wasn't, you know, cloying. It was uncomfortable because it was at the moment when you're supposed to be starting to drift away from each other a little bit and have just a bit more space. Um uh, you know, uh, between you and, and the reverse was happening where I was like bunking with my mom, which definitely created tension. Yeah. But, um, you know, they were, they were there to make sure I had the right tutor and, you know, got what I needed and was safe. And, um, you know, so, that seems to be the recurring theme of when is this it? actually works well. Right, right. Because I knew when a lot of kids started. who emancipated uh, uh, themselves when they were like, I don't know, 14 or something. It's like crazy. And they're living on their own in some Oakwood apartment, you know, like I, I, a few. I mean, they've done OK. I mean, they landed you know, there uh, amazingly. But I think that was a much harder course. Um, so. Again, I, I think that was um, that accounted for a lot of my. I don't. They how were really it, responsible for my for for my sanity, you know. And it was always clear that I was going to go to college, and that was um, yeah. Because you made a bunch of movies, and then you basically cold turkey went to Yale for a few. Years. I did. I deferred for a year and made a movie and um, breathed for a second. But I, I, it, it, it didn't. It it um it was something I I knew that needed to happen really for more for social reasons as much as academic reasons I was starting to become a, a little strange um, I really mean? was well I mean I was always uh, 
a little precocious. I think growing up in New York too, and I had kind of liberal parents who were exposed me to a lot really early, and you know, so I, yeah. But that just became really compounded when I was surrounded by adults and you know, bearing a huge amount of responsibility and and just didn't really go to school with right. kids and you know bypassed all of that which I was very happy to do because junior high was a friggin' nightmare. Um, and I was I actually, I mean, I think people overuse this word, but I think I was pretty traumatized by it. Yeah. So that was also like such a blessing that my so-called life appeared because I got to kind of release a lot of that and comment on it. And, you know, and I had these perfect words that Winnie had given me and I was um, in the kind of, you know, the uh uh these styrofoam high school walls rather than right. actual ones and so it was many steps removed and i got to simulate it but i didn't have to do it uh which i was really relieved could you assess what was going on in the outside world at that age because like jared leto became america's heartthrob for yeah, like six yeah, yeah. months mm-hmm. and that's happening but you're in these little walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, but I just didn't stop working. So like as as soon as my so-called life wrapped, I then did Little Women and I did, I don't know, it was just one movie after another. And then I did Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> you, did the, you did the Little Women that's now not the latest that's right. Little Women. No, I know. You we've, did it, like yesterday's news Little bumped. Women. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, it's supplanted. I, I know. I think very well. I'm Which one were you, it. Beth? I was Beth. Yes. So who is that in the new one? Because I, li- I really like the new one. Yeah, I haven't seen it I yet. I think Beth I'm, was Florence Pugh, maybe. No, uh, I'm she screw was that up. Amy, I think. I I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. But I'm re- super eager to see it. I'm a massive Gerwig fan. So, um, Did you like do a double take when they were making it? You were like, no, wait a second, no, I just I'm did just, this. No, I'm old. I am, <laughs> I am fully reconciled to that. Yeah, very Every 25 years, that movie has to happen. Yes, it's yeah. one of those, you know. Um, I, I'm sure someone it. else will play Juliet also. I think they already have. You know, like, you, you've got to be gracious about these things. I, I can't claim ownership over, you know, the classics. That but, felt like you were, that was, Romeo and Juliet was the first time you got thrown into the Hollywood yeah. big budget. Yeah, yeah. I, commercials, right. trailers. Yeah, the whole yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah. Leo was clearly headed toward something really yes. major. Yes. Yeah. Which you could see for five years. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite young actors, and it seems like it gets He's amazing. That part got forgotten once Titanic became what it became. But yeah, he did yeah, a yeah. bunch of really good stuff oh, there for amazing. five, six years. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape and yeah. basketball diaries. This boy's life. This boy's life. Yeah. No. Big yeah, he's incredible. And he always has been. Like, he was good was on he the like Growing Pains. Oh, yeah, Growing Pains, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. He had um, some good seeds of Growing Pains. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what was he like? Well, he was Leo in his early 20s. 20s oh, so right? he was older than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Everybody was older than me. That's why it's really funny to now be I don't so know ancient. Would, I don't know if that would go this way now. What? Where you're a 14 year old doing scenes with a 20 year old. They're always they they're always a liability. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, I don't. So? I don't know if that's the, such an issue. When you're really little, you have to be. <laughs> you have to get tutored, which is a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, and so, therefore, it's very expensive. So we're, we're you know, 
it's unusual that young people are cast kind of for that reason. So broke down palace. Did yeah, you have to go that to was Thailand my gap year. I was in the Philippines. We shot that in the That Philippines. seemed like a rough movie. I that thought that movie rough. was really good. Thank you. But Thank that, you. that seemed like one of those It was movies. hard. That was the first movie that I made without my mom and without my tutor. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, and it was in a, yeah, it was, it was, it was a rough one. It was dark. That movie premise. made me never want to go to the Far East, which is totally rational. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it like, was. This could happen to me. Yeah, that was. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was a tough one. Um, but thank you. Yeah, I liked I liked the idea that it was a story about these about uh, fr- female friendship. Kyle, you know that movie? What broke down palace? No, it's a good one. Really, I'm gonna Google it. It's a good, yeah. good ending. I don't want to spoil the yeah. ending for the people yeah. out there. Yeah. What'd you think of Yale? Would you do that one? I loved it. I loved it. I only went for two years. I didn't graduate, which I still have really good pizza. New Haven pizza scene. And Louis Lunt. Really good food in New Haven. Yeah. Um, And my dad actually grew up in New Haven because my grandfather uh, was dean of architecture at Yale. So we had a lot of friends and family there. So that was nice. And, um, And it's an amazing school. Um, uh, <laughs> newsflash. Yeah, newsflash. Great school. Yeah. Um, but Smart no, but kids. it, but it, su- but it did suit me. Like it's, um, the the yeah. It, well, it's very artsy. There, it's very artsy. It is. I would say that's the most artsy. Ivy League. Yeah, in. yeah. Well, brown maybe. Um, brown, brown likes to promote itself as artsy. Okay. I feel like okay. Yale is actually artsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It so is. Now the brown people are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so that was, no, it was a good fit. And I, you know, all those wonderful cliches, you know, I met my best friends and my mind was blown and I. So you never finished? No. How many classes you have left? Two years left. You should be halfway like, there. You should be like Shaq. You should just start banging out classes in the Homeland set or whatever. Did he do that? Your next movie. Did he do that? That's good for him. He did. I think he. he I don't know. I'm, he was starting to do like here and there, grabbing a couple. Uh, that's, couple, couple NBA that's players have done that. Super impressive. Yeah, I remember I presented an award with Shaquille O'Neal when I was like fifteen, maybe sixteen, at MTV Movie Awards or something. Yeah. We were an unlikely pair. I would, would but imagine. But I remember I, I shook his hand and it disappeared. I'd never yeah. encountered someone that behemoth before. He yeah. was, and he was so kind. He was so sweet, and he was really excited because his. He said my, he was talking about how his girlfriend was pregnant. <laughs> I was like, oh, that woman. Who's your big eye? How's that gonna work? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but he was lovely. Anyway. I remember that. That's my okay. That's a a tangent, but that's so you my, go to Yale and then that's it. You're you're making movies and everything well, from that point. Well, I on. really thought that I could make a movie a summer, and then of course it doesn't work that way. Um, and I've kind of failed to realize how much work goes into getting work. So I wasn't able to read a script or take a meeting, and you know, um, it was. And then and I really kind of got what I needed from it, like. Yeah, I, I sort of got the fundamentals of it. And I was supposed to do a movie that fell through and I had to train for it. And that was kind of jarring and a little distressing. And so, like, I'd, I guess I had taken some time off that I didn't really mean to take. And uh, the whole thing started to feel a little protracted. And my good friends were starting to graduate. and And I missed acting. I hadn't worked for three years, which was just, you know, 
yeah, that's an like a insanely long time for me, especially. Right. Um, it's so, like acting in sports are like that, where you disappear for three similar. years. Yeah, it really feels like three years. Yeah, a very yeah. So, and I, I think also I needed to, I wanted to give myself a chance to commit to acting as an adult and rather yeah. just do it by default or because, you know, out of habit or because I had made this decision, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, and then, you know, sure enough, it turns out that's in fact what I wanted to continue doing. But uh, I really did give myself a good whack at, you know, uh, entertaining other possibilities, which was uh, incredibly thrilling. I had a great time. What's your favorite movie you've made? It's a tough I, question. I think I think Romeo and Juliet just because it was so, um, it was so surprising, you know, and it was ambitious and it achieved everything it wanted to. I think, and I liked the idea. And a really creative director. And a really creative director, mind blowingly so, um, and that was really exciting. You so, also had some pressure on that one because. Yeah, sure. People were like, uh-oh, they're doing Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And they they have these two hot young actors. Show? Yeah, they, this uh, better be that good. That was canceled. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, no, you were been, you were uh, the uh, up-and-coming it actress there for a little well, bit. Um, yeah, but, you know, I've made others. I don't know. Uh, I forgot about making movies. I've been making TV shows. For I know. <laughs> so, TV show. For so long. It's eight years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You started making it, and I had... That was the first year we had Grantland, which was the website before The Ringer. Oh, oh. And we just threw ourselves in the homeland because we loved it. Oh, okay. And we were covering it every week. And, oh, right. All um, right. It was such an original show and the characters were so vivid. Mm, mm. And it's interesting. Now you think like earlier in the decade compared to now mm-hmm. and your character in Homeland who's, you know, has some real issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the early part of the decade, you just meant, oh, man, she's batshit crazy, make all these jokes. But right. now I think there's much more sensitivity about some of those issues uh-huh, uh-huh. and how they're portrayed both mm-hmm. on a show, but then also how people talk about them. But mm. that was not the case in the early 2000s. Mm. I guess that's true. Yeah. Because my whole thing was like, Brody, run. <laughs> run, from, <laughs> run from that. You weren't She's wrong. nuts. You I wasn't totally wrong. wrong. But no. then it turned out Brody was even uh, yeah. more nuts. Yeah. But that was a great season. And it was interesting. The show after that season had to reconcile, all right, what do we do with this? Because this worked, but Brody was probably only meant to last one season, but now yeah, you got to actually right. keep going for that's the second right. season. Second and then ultimately third, you know. I actually think in retrospect, it would have been better off if he blew up at the end of season one and you just moved on. I don't know. They wouldn't have had Franny. True. They wouldn't have Franny. But maybe you could have snuck that one in anyway. <laughs> I don't know. They spend a I weekend in like, a cabin. I kind of like that he, 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 there was such a long Brody shadow that was cast throughout the rest of the season. He never really went away. I mean, because they it's had true. this child. And then in this final season, the conceit is that, you know, well, she's been uh, in the custody of the Russians for seven months and she was denied her meds. So she totally unraveled and... You know, there's a big question of whether she was turned or not. So, so she in fact becomes Brody in a sense. Um, so oh. that's that's the that's, that's the, the premise idea. for that's this. That's the one? premise. That's one of them. But yeah, so she's she in some ways she 
becomes totally fused with him, um, which is kind of nice. The good news is there wasn't any traumatic stuff that happened to her over the course of no, the series. She's, she's totally fine. Yeah, she's doing okay. Just an, a, she, just an average lady living in America, <laughs> in D.C., working for the government, doing some stuff. Yeah, no, um, she has way too many lives. Uh, it's, uh, you know, she's a magical creature. Yeah, she's endured Do you, after you've played somebody for that long, is it tough to imagine that person just kind of dying for yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. She's gone? This is a very awkward beat right now because, yeah. you know, I'm still doing ADR for the show. I'm promoting it now, obviously. It comes out very soon. And uh, so I'm still tethered to it. I'm still kind of in it. I, I don't think it's really going to occur to me that it's over until we're in April and I would be going back to film the next season. I mean, right now the pattern hasn't really been interrupted. Yeah. I'm doing what I've always done, which is recover, you know, have a holiday, Christmas, and then promote it and you know. And and so yeah, I'm I'm not quite there yet. And uh it's yeah. so big. You know, like this year I turned 40, we had our 10 year wedding anniversary and this nearly decade-long odyssey of Homeland is ending. So it's quite seminal, and there's, like, this really... It does feel like a... Stark line. The end of the decade. Yeah. In a lot of Yeah, senses. exactly. That's yeah. right. It's, um... Uh, it's... It's, um... Pretty stark. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't... I can't even begin to think about where I might go next. It's, it's hard to believe that there is a next, you know? It's gonna be... A process. You know where it's leading eventually. You seem like you do. It's <laughs> just really exciting. I, what? Where? A Angela, age 40, coming back <laughs> oh, for yeah, like a yeah, TV, yeah, yeah, TV yeah, movie yeah. or a movie or something. Yeah. Oh, Angela man. at age 40. Yeah. She's got two kids. <laughs> Aww. She's still in touch with That's some of the gang. True. Yeah. Because all these reunion shows, these yeah, are the projects true. now. Yeah. It's like, oh, this was successful 20, 25 years ago. Right. We got to bring it back. People no. love this. Oh, gosh. I can't just spend the rest of my life no, you can't. redoing you what can't. I did in the first I bet it gets pitched half. to you, though. Uh, when the 30-something thing made me think anything was possible. Yeah. Because I was like, my mom's excited, but my mom's 72. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom is like really fired up. The show's coming back. So I was like, once that happened, uh, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel like Showtime is properly indebted to you? That was the first big show they've ever had. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like their first time. It's true. They really looked HBO in the eye and they were like, we have a show that you're <laughs> super jealous of. <laughs> uh, that's a happy characterization. That's it's true. Really, yeah, I think it is true to a certain extent. Um, it definitely leveled the playing field. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel. I really feel very lucky that it was... As good as it was for as long as it was. I mean, I, I'm so relieved that it was it was ambitious to try attempt to maintain the quality of the show. Plus, you know, with for all so the many. real life characters shifting, yeah, toward who should be. Well, on and the it reimagined itself every every yeah. season, which I think is a reason why. Because then the Russians have to come in as the show keeps going, do. right? But they in do. the first part of the decade, they weren't so. Why would you have relevant. the Russians? It's yeah. all ISIS and it all didn't that kind seem of stuff. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it was, um, it was like origami or something. It just kept, kept getting refolded, you know, um, have you it, had, have you had those like farewell dinners, all that stuff? We farewell had one, parties? we had one the other 
night, Fox and Showtime threw a really, really lovely party for us. It was fairly intimate and and uh, speeches were made and tears were shed and, you know, it was nice. Um, but yeah, we had, and we filmed in Morocco for seven months. So we had a rap party there. We filmed here in LA. You filmed in Morocco for seven months? Yeah. What do you do with kids? Cyrus went to school there and Rowan learned to crawl there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He went to an American school. We lived in Casablanca and uh, George Washington Academy. He went and you know, it all kind of worked out. But Man. we've lived in South Africa for half a year. We lived in Berlin for half a year. We, you know, yeah. But your husband's also acting in, in yeah, all kinds well, of Yeah, well, Hugh um, took a role on this season. So um, that worked out. But Is he a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. Is he a bad guy? He would tell you he's a good guy. But I would say he's a bad, he's a bad guy. guy. We don't actually have any scenes together, but. Really? Um, yeah. No, I you mean, didn't sneak yes, one in like in, just in an elevator together. Uh, <laughs> no, I would <laughs> in a that, line at Starbucks. That would have been tough. I don't know if I would have. Uh, yeah, it would have been hard to maintain focus. But um, no, it was really cool. It was really cool to share the show from the inside out uh, with him like that. Well, congratulations! I mean, thank that you. That show, 2011. That sounds right. Yeah, because that was when Grantland started. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you went the whole decade. Pretty hard to do on television. Yeah, yeah. And I really, I feel a little Rip Van Winkled by the whole thing. Like, uh, I've been, you know, within that ecosystem, you know, and and so much has changed. I've changed a lot, you know, but the world and the and the medium, the industry has changed a lot. So I, 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 it's, uh, I'm not, I don't quite remember, no, how it like all functions now. I was kind of hoping it would end. You know how some shows stay like one season too long and they do just some completely cr- crazy idea that doesn't work? Yeah. I was hoping with President, President, uh, what's the character's name? Who? On <clears throat> Homeland, I'm Carrie. President, oh, yeah. President Carrie. Oh, President Carrie. I think. And then like her her meds get hid for yeah. the, the cliffhanger episode and then we just never know what happens. Or she's or, working for the Russians. Yeah, or the whole time she's yeah. undercover or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did a nice job of never having that. Once, because I remember Twenty Four had a season like that where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. man, all right, it's same Wrap same it guys who they did Twenty Four. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes, especially when you're on that tightrope of, it's got to be thrilling, and we have to have surprises and yeah. turns. They can, I mean, I think we really did see it as a novel. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Do, it, do you think they knew what the ending was like years ago, or no. was it one of those year no, later no, no, things? No, 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 no. Because we were mirror, always mirroring what was happening in, right. you know, the actual world, which we couldn't anticipate. And it was, it was hard, really hard in that, I guess it was the sixth season yeah. when it, we were waiting to see who would be elected. And so we had this president character that had to be kind of broad and flexible enough to accommodate all the, you know, the different possibilities but you and didn't then, accommodate for the possibility we ended up. No, with no, we did a little bit. I <laughs> really? mean, she, I, she was, mm, um, she was kind of had a rogue spirit and was, uh, it, 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 which was a little bit similar. Like she was, yeah, um, on, she was on the political fringe a little bit. You know, um, does she tweet twenty times a day or no? No, but <laughs> but but that was that was stressful. You know, they were yeah. and and then it once the outcome was determined they could um 
I had something concrete to work with. But, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Congrats on everything. Thank you very much. It was great much. to talk to you. Yeah, finally. so nice to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for having um, me. Thank pleasure. you for the coffee, <laughs> which I it. really needed. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Koppelman. Thanks to Wesley. And thanks to Claire Danes. Thanks to Simply Safe Home Security, where you can get comprehensive protection for your home, real video evidence to give police an eyewitness count of any break-ins, all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS today. Get a free Simply Safe security camera. Normally 100 bucks. Go today. It's free. Simplysafe.com slash BS. That's Simply Safe with two eyes. Back Thursday with the big NBA trade deadline pod, basically live with Ryan Rosillo. Until then. <laughs> 